This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. It's Ray Harkins, and you are getting a bonus episode this particular week of a very, very fun thing that, you know, I think I'm going to start doing, I don't know whether it's once a quarter, once every couple months, whatever, where uh, it's uh, it's going to be a buried treasure episode. So, uh, you know, for those of you that listen to this on the regular, you'll realize that uh, this is not the usual, uh, you know, interview-based thing. This is going to be more so a very, very loose conversation based around music that is just frankly forgotten about. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to drill down into specific music genres and like pretty specific, not just like, oh, here's forgotten about punk records because, you know, you can find that basically anywhere on the internet that people are writing stuff. So I want to get super specific. And uh, I was texting with my friend Shane Told, who is the uh, vocalist of Silverstein and also does a great podcast called Lead Singer Syndrome. And I kind of was like, you know what, this would be fun. Like what, what, what genre of music should we do? And, uh, you know, him and I threw a few ideas around and ultimately we landed at skate punk. And, uh, that is a very oft recognized as very influential music scene. And Shane and I could not agree more. And so we, we really went in the archives for this one, but fortunately it's not so in the archives where it's like, oh yeah, this forgotten about demo tape from a band in, you know, Northern California. It's, it's stuff that you can still find on some music streaming providers, or you can easily find on YouTube. So, uh, I'll include some links and we'll actually play some music in the show as well. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the fun stuff we're doing here. So, um, yeah, I, no, no other reason other than I just wanted to share this fun conversation with you. So, uh, yeah, here you go. Here is me and Shane talking about skate punk, buried treasure. Yeah. Bye. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, anything else that you uh, wanted to do on this thing? No, I think let's just, let's just wing it, man. I think, yeah. I think we got enough enough hilarious <laughs> stories and content and, like, probably some actually pretty cool stuff no one talks about anymore. Yeah. You know, that, that people our age will remember. So I'm stoked. Well, I, I think, too, I think the, the valuable part about these things, too, is the fact that it's like... It, it, uh, people of all ages, this serves. I mean, it serves people like you and I who, you know, pay way close, way too close attention to everything else that exists in the music world. But then it also, you know, I mean, how many times has it happened to you where, uh, you know, someone introduces you to something that is older than you and you're just like, oh, wow, like I actually really, really like this or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. But the, uh, yeah, so I, you, you were getting a, a bonus cool episode of uh, what I like to call the Buried Treasure series, even though technically it's not a series, it's just whatever I feel like doing these things. 
perfect. <laughs> but I'm I'm here with one of my spectacular friends, Shane Told, the host of the. Uh, yeah, I'm not even. You're you're not even getting Silverstein as like a lead billing anymore. You're getting podcast right? as number one, dude. Yeah, it's getting it's getting kind of crazy, man. I don't know what's happening. I, I I'm seventy episodes in. Can you believe that? It feels like I just started episode number seventy. I know. So it's it's wild, man. But the the podcast. It's been fun, man. It's been so fun. And uh, we become closer on account of it, I think. So that's great, too. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I would be lying if, if I was, if your podcast, if I said your podcast wasn't a huge inspiration for my podcast. Absolutely was. Well, I, I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, it's the same principle as everything else that exists in entertainment where you listen to something that is you like and then you're like i think i could do something that's similar to that like i i'm probably not going to be as good but i'll do my own thing on it and that's 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 all that we do absolutely man no it really is and it kind of goes a little bit with the topic of today's discussion yes i I, because when i was a kid I was just trying to copy these bands we're going to talk about. That's all I wanted to do. I love it. I, I, cause I mean the, the, I just got the inspiration where I was just like, you know what? Like Shane and I need to hang out and talk about a, a uh, often forgotten, but a incredibly foundational aspect of both of our musical upbringings and many other people's musical upbringings that got influenced by, you know, punk and hardcore and stuff is the, uh, the, the, the genre of skate punk as it were. That's right. <laughs> and we just we decided to pick, yeah, yep. I was just say we decided to pick three bands a piece and these are uh these are bands that are uh not, you know, cuz we're going to gloss over the main players in the industry as it were. You know, your no effects, your good riddance. Right. Everyone knows about those, right? Right. <laughs> and so we're we're going, you know, I would say even like third level deep where Yeah, I think you're going a little deeper than I'm going to go. Um, that's fine because because two of the bands you're on your list, I think I've never even heard of before. Yeah, and I, I, I so I will de- I will deviate from one of them. So I, I'm, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna bury the lead just because. Yeah, I named I named a band called Donuts and Glory, which was like that was actually just to give you the proper context. So yeah, there's a band called Donuts and Glory. Uh, they were here from Southern California because it was a, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, apologies for not doing the due diligence on this, but it was a side project for one of the dudes in Homegrown, and it was like his version of wanting to do like a more aggressive, quote unquote, hardcore-ish project. Interesting. I didn't because uh, I, I was I was listening to it to them literally right now. Yeah, and, and it's pretty good, dude. Like totally, <laughs> it's very technical. Like the music is really well recorded. Vocals are terrible, as most of them are in this era. I know, man. You know, you know what's funny? Like, like just thinking about this whole thing and going back and thinking about oh, what what some of the like smaller bands in, in the skate punk genre. So many of those bands, they used to put on this like fake, like kind of shitty punk voice. Yeah, and I don't know if that was like trying to be Fat Mike uh, or what that was. But it was such a common thing. Like one of the. I'm probably going to jump around and talk about all kinds of kinds of bands, but there was a band that Connor from Boys Night Out used to play drums in called Gym Class Joke. Okay. And they had the same thing. They had this, like, like very kind of shitty, like, uh, da, da, like, punk voice, which is so contrived. But I think it was just resulted from, like, kids 
you know, high school kids probably starting these bands just trying to sound cool. Right. You know? <laughs> totally. And Give it's it. so funny. And Donuts and Glory had, like, the epitome of that, man. Yeah. We used to, we actually joked around because uh, Taken, we recorded our demo in our first 7-inch at Double Time Studios in San Diego. And the two guiding principles of us wanting to record there was one, Unbroken's Life, Love, Regret was recorded there. And Blink-182's Cheshire Cat was recorded there. <laughs> and so we, we like, uh, we joked around where, uh, you know, because the punk voice that you're talking about, albeit a little bit different, but, you know, Blink-182 had it all over Cheshire Cat. And we called it, and not like the aggressive punk tone, but like the very nasally punk tone. Yes. And uh, granted, you could argue the pop punk tone. We actually joked around that it was like, uh, we called it Studio, studio Nose Plugs. So <laughs> we always joked around with the uh, the producer Jeff Forrest there, uh, and we were like, "Hey, where's the uh, studio nose plugs that uh, that Tom DeLong used?" <laughs> and, and he just cracked up. But yeah, no, I think you're totally right, Shane. It's one of those things where you just you hear a style and you don't sound like it, but you want to emulate it. <laughs> yeah, man, it's funny, and it's 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 the other thing we should talk about too is just geographically where we both grew up. I mean, I'm sure your listeners know you're from Southern California. Uh, I grew up in the Toronto, Canada suburbs. And what's kind of crazy is like a lot of people don't know skate punk was huge in Canada and it's still actually pretty big. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, uh, you know, some of the bigger players come through, uh, you know, the ones, the ones we won't talk about, they're still playing like huge venues here. Right. And, um, and there was a big similarity between what was going on in, in Southern California and what was going on in Canada. But, but we pretty much just were wanted to be you guys, you know what I mean? Um, totally you know what I mean but but I guess my my point of that is just like how my question for you is how big were those those bands like you must have seen them like the the bands in that scene yeah it was it was a really strange thing to be a part of because I mean I'm I'm 36 years old so like when I first started to go to those sort of shows I was you know between the ages of like 12 and 14 like right as things started to explode of that genre you know I mean I saw uh, offspring quicksand and no use for a name when I was like about 14 I had no clue who no use for a name or quicksand were I just went to see offspring because they played of course they played the Brent event center which is like a huge I mean you know it's a state not a stadium but it was a you know a gym where it was like gosh I don't know but you could probably have like 5,000 people in there or something like that but it was it was massive I also remember a show that I went to uh, that really spoke to the like largeness of it not so much in the venue but just i remember how insane it was where it was like they decided to do it was like uh rancid uh offspring but offspring wasn't billed um and then there was a there was gutter mouth as well so it was basically rancid, <laughs> rancid and gutter mouth with a secret offspring um i didn't know that because i was you know a child but I, it was right. it was at a college campus in orange uh, at chapman college but it was one of those things where when i showed up there getting dropped off by my parents it was just like there are so many people here and i don't know how they're going to fit everybody in here and yeah to a simple answer to your question is it was massive but not in way like you just felt like it took huge leaps where it's like you know blink would be playing showcase theater and then all of a sudden like a year and a half later you're like oh so they're you know playing huge radio rock festivals now it was just wild Right. I mean, my, I more mean like the local side of things, you know what I mean? Like, like the, the smaller bands that were playing at 
what is it like the showcase was a sure was that was that your your local venue or the corona theater there was, you know i'm just thinking of like venues i heard about when i was a kid in california yeah well there was, you know there was probably coos cafe as well in santa Ana. that was okay one. yeah yeah that was another one you guys never played there you because you guys played showcase your first time out here I'm we sure. no i think we played corona theater actually it, no, it was called well, it, it, Corona. Oh, Corona, California. That's yeah. it's in Corona, right? Right. I'm I'm totally mixing it up. No, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. it's show, Showcase Theater in Corona. Right. But uh, but yeah, all the. I mean, there was so many bands that are completely forgotten about to time that you know could pull four to five hundred people. Um, I know at these places, but it's like you know they if they toured outside of you know Southern California, no one would know who they are. And it's like, it was just such a weird, in the same way that you have bands from Southern Ontario that, you know, made a big mark in your area and no one has any idea who they are outside of it. That's right. That's right. And I, I want to talk about at least one of them, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it is, it is a wild thing though, man. How, how, you know, you talk about those local bands and, and what, what is that X factor? Like what makes them the band that gets out, you know, from that era? Yeah. It's really, it really is a, a kind of a crazy thing. And my answer when I was thinking about it is, uh, I have one answer. Okay. It is fat records. That is the answer because fat records controlled everything in skate punk. Yep. And any, all those bands that had songs on the compilations, like those, the survival of the, the fattest mm-hmm. comp and you know, the, the, the one fat music for fat people or whatever it was before that, yep. those bands just exploded. Oh yeah. And, um, the first band I want to talk about was, is, uh, was on one of those compilations and they were, uh, called diesel boy. Mm-hmm. And, um, what I like a couple stories about Diesel Boy that I think are so funny. The first one is my friend in high school, when I was 17 years old, got a job touring with them and just went, and maybe he was 18, but he was really young and they just took him in their van and he went around America with them for like years. <laughs> I don't know why. Like my friend from Oakville, Ontario, Canada, wow. uh, just got in a van with Diesel Boy and yeah, he's like, it was great, man. I just sold merch and got drunk every night. It was I'm just like, this is wild. Why do they want this 18 year old kid, uh, with them? So that was hilarious. And another thing about them, they were kind of supposed to be this like big band. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember honest Dawn's. Yeah. That well, cause they which was the offshoot of fat. Yeah. Cause and, they, they, they weren't technically on fat, but they were on honest Dawn's. I mean, I think they put out like a seven inch on fat, but yeah. Right. So what I think that was like, what fat Mike was trying to do was kind of trying to build this like second label and, and, and diesel boy, they really were like the flagship band on that label that really never went anywhere. And I think, and I think part of it was that the band wasn't very good. Yeah. All right. It's arguable. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They definitely, Uh, it was weird too, because that band, uh, I mean, they, they were from Northern California, but they didn't really play. I mean, they played Southern California a decent amount, but they definitely weren't in, um, the regular circuit of bands that would, uh, be playing down here. Um, I mean, they played down here, but like, I want to get, I want to say that the reason that you were probably so impacted by those dudes was that, uh, I mean, they were huge in Canada. Like they toured a ton up there. They did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why my friend, you know, met them in a show and said, Hey, take me with you, you know? And they're like, okay, I don't know. Right. We need somebody to, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, I don't even know if he lied about his age or how that happened. 
Um, but I mean, the song, the song Titty Twister from the Survival of the Fattest comp, I mean, that song is like... Classic. Talk about, it's classic. Yeah, totally. It's, it's a gimmicky song. Uh, I haven't heard it in a few years. It's probably pretty badly recorded. Right. But like, yeah, that you cannot... <laughs> that that song is something, man, and that song was was a huge impact. Yeah, well, and, that, uh, but I think they just didn't have the talent or the the you know really anything to to continue and be a real band, you know, like for a long time. I think they put out like four records, but it wasn't a very like they're they're probably playing like two hundred fifty cap rooms maximum. Right toward, towards the end, yeah. Well, let's uh, let, let's yeah. let, let's take a trip down memory lane and listen to uh, you know thirty seconds of the song just to just to give people a taste because the the whole point of this is to introduce you to bands that you know might not have dated that well but at the same time like you you can't listen to it and be like oh wow like that that's actually still stands up or that like at least parts of it right. still hold right up. right well yeah let's do it titty twister by diesel boy So there, uh, there was, uh, there was Diesel Boy. That was, uh, yeah. It, it, I, I also remember. I just had the only memory I have about that band too, because I, I think I only saw them once. But their, their whole thing was funny songs. Because didn't they have a record called So Fucking Cool, like Sofa King? Yeah, Sofa cool? King Cool, right. yeah. Sofa <laughs> cool. Which is so not cool. <laughs> but you know, yeah, they had that, and they had like a song. Uh, I remember about like true Barrymore or something uh-huh. being like in love with true Barrymore. And then they had like, Oh, I think their first seven inch was called the strap on seven inch. I had like a picture of a strap on, on the, on the cover too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's so, yeah, de- definitely. Uh, <laughs> those things don't age very well. Those jokes. <laughs> no, they, they really don't. But, um, I transitioning into a band that I want to talk about, uh, in, in a similar, um, well, at the same exact record label, uh, a one and done record from a side project of snuff called Guns and Wankers. And <laughs> this, again, was, you know, part of the uh, I want to say it was on. Yeah. The survival of the fattest comp, um, which it, like 
I wish that I had like a million dollars to be able to do a like sprawling investigative story of how many people that that comp affected you know like oh man like <laughs> just like but i mean not not even people like in music but just kind of like uh you know people that like have gone on to like you know do like government jobs like you know just the principles that people learned from like that comp i don't know i just i find it so fascinating no absolutely i think like like that comp and probably a couple like staple punk records are, is, is, is everything. And people talk about records like, you know, like you already brought the offspring and I would bring up like a record like punk and Drumlick by no effects or rancid outcome. The wolves, I would argue that survival of, of the fattest is right there with those records. Absolutely. Cause you had the lethal combination of cheap CD, uh, you know, a very valuable 20, you know, whatever, 18 to 20 songs. And it's like, that is undeniable as a kid, like just yeah, undeniable. But no, and some great songs on on those. Now, Guns and Wankers, I, I own that CD. It's a great. I do own that CD, and th- th- um, this whole this holds up like sonically, like it's recorded very well. And I mean, for the time, like you know, you can't just place it now and be like, oh, this is a band that exists in 2017. But uh, it's, it kind of sounds like it's recorded in a cave. It's very there's a lot of like reverb or something going on on this on this record, though, as I recall. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you're right. I mean. Well, well, Guns and Wankers. I don't know much about the history of Guns and Wankers, except they have something to do with Snuff. Like it's some members of Snuff, right? Yeah, I think it was there because uh, I think every band went through this of that era where it's like. I mean, Snuff by that time had existed for you know a while in the UK and really only started to make their name once they signed a Fat and put some stuff yeah. out here. But the. I, I, so many of those bands like maybe they wanted to be a little more faster or more aggressive you know and i think this was from what i can tell and what i recall about it this was their uh, effort to be like hey this is our more aggressive side of things but we don't want to put it under the snuff umbrella we have to call it guns and wankers (laughs) right what a name like what a whole thing (laughs) totally totally i mean did you ever see them play oh no no because that oh i I would be pr- I would be surprised if they actually played a show because I think it may have only been a, a rec- like just a, a recording project, but I could be completely wrong. But I have I really don't know either, and it's it is it is truly one of those interesting things with it. Like a one, you're right, a one and done record that was you know pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, yeah, I definitely good. I definitely know that they I like. I'm almost positive they never came over. Like if they did play shows that they never came over to the States that, that I can be sure of, but you know, maybe they played some shows in Europe or UK or whatever, but um, yeah, but the song, the song I wanted to play was the skin deep, which was again from the survival of the fattest comp. And that was uh, just like the perfect gateway to that record. And then you would get the record. You were just like, Hey, all the songs are very similar to that. So this is great. (laughs) Great buy on that. But uh, yeah, let's listen to skin deep then.
There it is. Guns, guns and fucking wankers. <laughs> G and W. <laughs> totally. Actually, oh man. I I mean, obviously they probably got this name from Guns and Roses. Like, there's no way that they. Can- well, yeah, that's that was my joke, dude. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 funny because it's like totally making fun of of like that whole thing right i mean with this probably came out in like 94 yeah i think so yeah uh so yeah you have to understand like you gotta figure like like user illusion 2 or whatever it was like 92 right so this was still like a big thing with the whole punks against the mainstream you know got not goth sorry like glam metal and and uh all that stuff like right like that was it had to be a huge thing absolutely well yeah because i mean since since punk was such a pushback on that like there's right, yeah, exactly. there, there's no way that that wasn't a direct response but yeah i don't know why that literally never occurred to me until right up to this moment it's like wait a minute <laughs> yeah i know i'm a thir- i'm a 36 year old adult and i'm now just realizing guns and R- wakers it's a it's a shot at guns and roses <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> Thank, thank God That's we got right, to, yeah. thank God we got to the bottom of that chain. Thank you for <laughs> spell that out for me. We used our brains, Ray. <laughs> so uh, what do you got? What do you got? I got well. I'm 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 not going too far off here. We can still use the Fat Records, um, uh, you know, uh, theory for a second longer. Uh, this is a band that they never put out a record on Fat Records, but they did appear on the Short Music for Short People compilation. Okay. And this band uh, was called Bigwig. Oh, yeah. And Bigwig out of New Jersey. So they were East Coast band. So probably a little further removed from you. Mm-hmm. Um, a little more of a hardcore band in a way. Like a little bit more of a yelly band. They had some subject matter where they talked about like vegetarianism and veganism. Yep. Uh, which was something that I think in Southern California was a little less so. Uh, you know, and it was it's, it, like at least in punk rock, in skate punk. Yep. Uh, you know, it was a, definitely a thing in East Coast hardcore. Uh, you know, like Earth Crisis being from you know the East Coast and all like bands like that. But they were one of the only bands I remember being like, oh, this is a punk band talking about hardcore things. Um, and that this band, when I first heard them, I was like, man, this is like what I've been looking for. Like this band has it. They're like technical. They're fast. They have like pretty good songs. They have like an ability to be serious. Um, and I saw them play a couple times. They used to come up to Canada all the time and they were like just one of my favorite bands. Yeah, they, they were, um, I only saw them play once and I think, I want to say that they played out here with Ensign. Like they didn't go on, they weren't on tour together, right. but they played out here together. And um, Ensign's like kind of a hardcore band, you know, or maybe even you could say they're a full on hardcore band. I don't know, but that's, you know, hardcore punk band. So it was a bit of a different scene than the like, you know, uh, diesel boy, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, no, totally. Cause they were, well, I mean, to your point about Ensign, like they absolutely were a hardcore band because they put out records on indecision records and like, you right. know, they here in Southern California, they definitely were branded as such. And I remember it was a huge thing when Ensign signed with nitro records. Cause everyone was like, Oh dude, here's a hardcore band going to like a mainstream punk label. What's this, <laughs> what's this going to mean or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, but anyways, to your point about Bigwig, yeah, they definitely were, I remember being attracted to them because of the, uh, well, yeah, the Unmarried Melodies record. And I remember yes. the, the carrot X's on the, the rabbit's hand. And I was like, dude, is that a straight edge thing? Like, is that right? I mean, See, that's the thing. They were a skate punk band that was talking about this kind of stuff that no one really did. 
you know, except like no effects would make fun of straight, you know, straight edge and stuff. They were kind of like, they were more embracing it, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Totally. But, uh, what song did you want to play? Uh, Oh, I want to talk about the band more. Oh, please dive in. Please. I have so many things to say about this band. Um, first of all, apparently they were never on fat records, even though fat Mike thought they were awesome because he thought they sounded too much like propaganda. Right. <laughs> yeah. They, and they were on fearless. They, kinda, they were on fearless. Well, they were on, I think they might've been on Kung. I mean, they were, on, they were on fearless eventually. Yeah. I think they put out their two main records on fearless. Um, so that is, so that's kind of a cool thing. And you wonder if that band did end up on fat, if they would have been like lag wagon big, you know, because I think they had it. I think they had what it takes. Yeah, you know, to, to I, band. I definitely agree. I do think I to your point, I do think that being for where they were from, I mean, made them unique. But at the same time, like if they were from California and like like they could have they could if good riddance did not exist, they could have filled that hole. Maybe, maybe. I mean, Good Riddance was a lot more political. They were. Uh, I, I'm just saying, no. like, if you took Big Sound-wise, Wig. Sound-wise, maybe. Yeah. If you took Big Wig, put them in Northern California, Good Riddance right. didn't exist. Like, Big Wig probably could have filled that, you know, even though, like you said, they weren't as political. But your, Definitely. your point is taken. But, but Big Wig was, I, I still think people that listen to this that, that know about Skate Punk are, are going to hear me talk about Big Wig and go, oh, fuck yeah. Because they were so influential, man. And, and I actually had a funny story with Jeremy from a day to remember, um, you know, the day to remember song that's like, goes, you know, that it starts with that. That's actually, they caught that idea from a big wig song. Uh, the second song on, um, <laughs> yeah, sleep. do you know, what, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I have no idea. Cause I, I've never listened to one, um, one song day to remember, but I, Oh, okay. Well, that's day, day to remember has a big song and it. They, it's a bit of a, uh, I don't want to say rip off. It's a, it's a, it's the same idea. Inspiration. And, uh, inspiration. And so, so that's the big wig song. I think we should roll with right now. It is called dent. <laughs> Yeah! 
yeah now i'll have to actually listen to the data remember song to like you know a and b it to be like oh i see where that came from you don't you, you've never heard of that data remember song before come on you just just like living in this world existing you would somewhere along the line i mean i have like i have heard i i've heard bits and pieces of it but i mean i would not be able to actually like identify well no i would be able to identify what data remember sounds like but i've just never uh, not to the point of where i would be able to be like oh yeah they're big song like i just don't know they're big songs so to speak. right so. right no this is a big song and uh it, i thought it was cool and i asked jeremy right away he's like he's like yeah man that's a big way one of my favorite bands that's and it. i was like that's sick and i knew i knew it when i heard it yeah that's um a, that's but, a but that's the thing man they're very very influential band a lot more uh than i think they get credit for yeah, well, that that's I think that's pretty much uh, most of these bands on this list are definitely yeah, like the definitely. Uh, the uh, the underground influencers. Definitely. Uh, well, I want to introduce another band now. If you, I uh, have put the uh, the topper on Bigwig. Yeah, please, please. So Go this ahead. this is another uh, this is another Fat Records band. Uh, it's it seems like we've just coordinated our lists accordingly, but it's the uh, this is well. The, so far, my bands, none of them have technically been on Fat Records. That's true. That's true. So you're you're going against your theory. <laughs> you're going against your theory, but it still works. Uh, this uh, this band is called High Standard. So they were uh, they were from yeah they were from Japan. Um, they were basically the biggest thing to come out of Japan from the skate punk, uh, genre. And, uh, their biggest thing was, uh, again, I want, yeah, this, this was also survival of, on survival of the fattest. They did the, uh, California the first, the first song on the record too. Yeah, right. And they did the, uh, California dream and cover, um, but the, uh, the record, well, it's weird because I was doing some research on this last night. And so California Dreamin' was not on the U.S. version of their record growing up, but it was on the Japanese version. And I was just like, why? Like, why was that song not on the U? I mean, I guess just maybe for like publishing issues. Probably, probably yeah, probably. Or maybe they wanted that song to be exclusive for the comp. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, yeah, I just remember being like, wow, because you could totally tell that they were from Japan based on the accents alone. Um, but they were so goddamn good. Like, they just killed that song so well. Oh, uh, the song's great. That whole record is great, man. Yeah. it, it Because it Wait for the Sun, that's an amazing song. Yep. Oh, man, there's so many good songs on that record. And their record after... Uh, like fighting fists or whatever that record's pretty good too and the thing i loved about it too is that they totally uh like they did not slow down like their their records were just just like just hauling ass the whole time like very little like oh yeah they'll slow down occasionally but man they just they hauled ass and i love that about bands of the skate punk genre where they're just like yeah you're gonna get a record that's like 30 minutes and it just you know it's what you're gonna skate to Oh, I know. I, I love that too. And I, I don't know if it's just like being a bored teenager or what it was, but like all I wanted to hear when I was at like that age, you know, we talked about the, you know, we're the same age. So, you know, between, yeah, between like 13 and 16 around that age, all I wanted to hear was like double time fast punk. And I wanted the song to be no longer than two minutes. Totally. <laughs> and, you know, and if it was like, if I had to go through some kind of slow part or some kind of like mid tempo, I was like, not, nah, not for me. Next track. Give me the fast one. And my parents hated it and I loved that about it. And that's what that's what drew me in, man. And yeah. it's still like to me, it's still my favorite shot. It's funny we have two guys not known for playing skate punk <laughs> talking <laughs> about skate punk. Totally. Well, because so. I, I think it was so, uh, I mean, like we mentioned at the top, it was so foundational in regards to just like the, um, 
even though so many of these bands you know fall under the genre they all had their lane so to speak you know like they all were you know like you said bigwig was you know a little more political and um they even though they all had the same principles they all sounded so different to a person who's listening to a lot of these bands you know if you played it for your parents they'd be like oh yeah it's horrible like what what is this of course no no my, my my parents would hear this 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 type of music and of course i was playing it too in my my old punk band jerk circus and my parents my dad would go the drums man they're they're off time they're off time i go no they're not off time they're they're fast they're double time. <laughs> and he didn't understand. He's like, he's like, it's off time. And I'm like, it's not off time. That's just what it is. Right. Right. <laughs> Dude, that's, so, uh, that's so funny. Did you, do you realize, do you, or do you know how massive high standard? Well, was slash is in Japan. I know. I mean, I never, uh, in, in going the couple times I've been over there to tour, like I, I've never seen anything in regards to them, but I mean, I just remember the, the the lore of the fact that they were just massive. Oh, oh no no like they're it's like insane it's insane over there right like I I remember one time I walked into like they have these kind of weird stores they're kind of like gift stores in Japan where they have all these kind of gaggy things like sort of like half toys half shirts half movie posters and it's just kind of stuff like all over the place. And they have these little corners where they'll they'll play like something they're trying to sell, and they had a whole high standard like wall with like shirts and like DVDs and CDs and stuff of the band and random merchandise. And then they had a TV playing one of the high standard like reunion shows. I want to say from like two thousand and let's say two thousand and eleven or two thousand and twelve. They were playing in a stadium. That's amazing. Like, there, was, there was like. I don't know if it was at the Tokyo Dome or where the hell it was, but it was like, we're talking about like 50,000 people singing every word to high standard. Like they are huge in Japan. It's crazy. Wow. That's yeah. I I mean, that's, I, I had no idea. I, I knew they were huge. I mean, just based on the fact that it was like, you know, they, uh, it seemed like they were the, uh, the chosen sons from that country. It, Cause I mean, you know, so many bands that popped up here in the States that weren't from here, were you know kind of destined it, it wasn't like there was a multiple bands from like the uk or germany or you know spain it was like a band like or, or i just remember that band useless id they were from i think they were right. from israel israel yeah yeah so, of course we know that <laughs> but like it, it seemed like there was only one band that kind of came from each category so right and so yeah i just find it so interesting but yeah i would assume yeah no you're right you're right and like you talk about like wizzo was the band also on fat records from germany and they were huge in germany too right right um but i mean i think like it's one thing to be like oh yeah this band's from there so they've got to be big where they're from but high standard was like just it was like next level yeah. like i can't believe how big they are and i guess the guy one guy's still like do, you know doing it he's got a solo project or something that's like big over there too so that's amazing i love that yeah it's wild
Yeah. So, what's your uh, what's your next pick? Or fi- uh, fi- is this your final pick? Is this yeah? This uh, yeah. This is this, I would say this is my final pick. Okay. Um, and this is a band I know is a bit polarizing with with you, perhaps, and uh, with maybe a lot of people. <laughs> and this is a little bit of a newer band uh, that came sort of out, out of the the ashes of the skate punk genre. And I want to talk about Rufio. Rufio. <laughs> And <laughs> exactly. And what was kind of crazy about Rufio was they were the, do you, you remember mp3.com? Absolutely. And mp3.com for people that might not remember or, or have forgotten, it was basically like a free a way to get free mp3s of music, um, of a lot of bands, but mostly it was like smaller bands, like local bands and stuff. Yep. There were some bands that were like, like signed, but not really. Um, but it was a big thing, and the top of the charts was Rufio. For some reason, this this very fast skate punk was the top of the charts. And since the website was so big, because it was giving away free music, which at the time wasn't a thing, the band got massive, like hugely successful on the internet. I would argue they might have been the first like internet famous band. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think um, because, I mean, I do remember that popping up. I mean, because and they, they were from Southern California and I'll share my anecdote about them. So like my um, one of my high school buddies, uh, this guy named Nick Bogardis, who went on to manage Thrice and um, he also managed he ended up managing Rufio. Um, he managed Cold War Kids for a bit. Right. So he he was looking to work with Rufio to manage them like wait, you know, before they signed with the militia group and everything like that. Right. So he took me to go see them at showcase and like, I watched them and I was like, this is dog shit, dude. This band is terrible. Like I, I, but there was so many kids there and I was like, I was like, this isn't for me, but dude, this is totally like, this is good from a sort of business perspective where I'm like, it seems like they've got something going on. But I just remember, uh, they, I do remember them getting so much momentum on the internet, which is what, you know, popped up a lot of people to the fact that, you know, cause I think they played, yeah, they were headlining the showcase off of like a, you know, four song CDR demo or whatever. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like I remember my, my, my best friend, Chris, he, uh, you know, me and him grew up skate punk kids and when he heard Rufio, he's like, this is the best band I've ever heard. Like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. And it was so fast. The, that was like, you know, they were like the first uh, skate punk band to like use autotune, right? So, and at the time we didn't really know that was why he was singing so well in key because we didn't really know what autotune was yet. Um, but, but you know, that was like a, a whole thing too. And they were very, it was very polished. It was very well recorded. Uh, it was poppy and it was catchy, but it was still like fast and aggressive. Um, and I, I don't know, I think like that was a huge, uh, gateway band for like a lot of younger people to figure out what, you know, Whoa, why is, why is this drummer playing so fast? Where did this all come from? Um, you know, and I think that's, it was definitely a thing because it was so accessible and it was fresh for that time too, because you know, the ashes of a lot of those bands that, you know, we were talking about from the early to mid to late nineties, that scene had kind of started to fade out. So when Rufio came along with a more polished approach, it was perfect timing. Right. And it was a more emo sounding kind of thing. They they sound a little bit like, like newfound glory had kind of become big because the whole pop punk thing was getting bigger and the skate punk thing was getting smaller. So they were basically like a skate punk band, with sort of newfound glorious vocals. Um, but what I think is interesting about, about Rufio and obviously they aren't a band anymore and they had uh, quite a big success, like a 
really bright for a second and then it kind of just faded away really fast. I feel like the skate punk people, um, and I did like the band for the record, but um, the skate punk people didn't like them because they were too poppy and the pop punk pe- people didn't like them because they were too fast. Yeah. And they really did. They really didn't know which way to go. Right. I also remember too, they would be playing <clears throat> cause they, they were, they were, even though they were from Southern California, they were more uh, inland. So like uh, they were from Rancho Cucamonga, which is like, you know, no band is ever from Rancho Cucamonga. And so it, it was, they would play. Was sh- it backside from Rancho Cucamonga? They were from Corona. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so it, it, it technically was part of like the inland empire. So Corona, San Bernardino, right. all that stuff. But it was yeah. like, they would play shows out there at like, you know, some random hall and then like a thousand kids would show up. It was just like, because they were like the local heroes for that area. It it would just be, I remember going to one show out there with my friend Nick and I was like, dude, these kids, like, like 80% of the kids that are at this show have never gone to a show before. This is amazing. Right. Right. So is that, so in your, you know, younger days of like, before you kind of figured out, Oh, I feel, I'm feeling this feelings and I don't like this and I can't really describe it. Did you, was there a lot of jealousy? Did you feel about this band kind of being able to blow up kind of overnight and have all these young fans that were like, you know, we used to call them posers like, uh, you know, was was that was that a thought in your head? Was that was that was it? Did it feel personal, or did, why was it that you disliked the band so much? Was it or was it just simply the music? Yeah, sonically, I just didn't because like the, yeah. the, the, the guy, the kids were nice in the band. Like they were total, just like goof, right. goofballs. Like everything that they exhibited in their music was exactly who they were as people. Um, I just never, yeah, I, ne- I never cared for the music because the jealousy never came in from bands that were uh, in different genres of. Okay, yeah, yeah, because it, it was usually the. It, the jealousy arose from i wouldn't even call it jealousy but just the like the sheer mind-blowing nature and i'm sure you've felt this over time where these bands that you exist in the same world for all of a sudden they start to get you know large and you're just like i can't believe that this band is selling out the opera house you know like i can't like (laughs) yeah it's more so of a perplexion and not of a fact that you are like oh god dude i can't believe we can't sell at the opera house even though that may be a part of your younger brain but you're not like outwardly, outwardly verbalizing it but it's it's a very good point though no, totally. I mean, it's the, the jealousy in, in the scene, all scenes. I mean, we're going way off track here for a second, but it does exist. And it can be any. It can be from anything from, yeah, selling out a show to like, oh, Draven sponsored this band, but they won't sponsor us. Dude, you know what I mean? Holy, holy shit. Like, what a deep cut, Draven. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just, oh, I went there. Dude, I love that. That is so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no it's true it's like you they had the misfit shoes it was cool <laughs> i know i know you do see these little things that pop up and like they don't you just all of a sudden beca- get so like affected by it you're like why does this band have this and we don't have this it's like well because you're not that band like i don't know how to, how to describe that i know i know people take it personally it's it's, a, it's quite it's quite an interesting thing man
hit on my last uh, pick because this, I'm ready. this uh this is veered away from the list that i sent you well i sent i sent oh, it to okay. you i sent it to you at one point but anyways it's uh it's a band called straight faced so one could argue that they lean way more in the uh, hardcore genre than technically skate punk but the the prism that i view this band in is very much it they are so unique. Like there's really only two bands that exist in this weird, what I like to call a bro core genre. Yes. So it, honestly, straight faced and ignite are the epitome yes. of bro core where they are a hardcore band by Sonics, but they are a complete, completely a punk band because they have very little breakdowns. Um, right. And they have the aesthetic of like a punk band. Um, but then, yeah. So I don't know straight faced. Anyways, the, the uh the record is called broken and we'll we'll play the song show me your gun which is about anti-violent stuff um but they were so i, I loved them i thought they were absolutely incredible i saw them a ton of times but it was the audience that came to the shows here in southern california was very much of your typical you know dudes in long dicky shorts with like white right. beaters and just like yeah. You know, you would never see them at like an, a quote unquote actual hardcore show, but they would go to this and then, you know, love it. And then obviously in the same breath, like love a band like Pennywise or whatever. Um, sure. But yeah, Straight Face was just, and then they signed to Victory Records, which I was just like, whoa, this is wild. Like they went from Fearless to Victory because they wanted to be more in the hardcore scene. But I thought the, Straight Face was on Epitaph. Uh, they also put they put out uh, their later records on Epitaph. They actually may have only, oh, okay. yeah, they may have only put out a seven inch on victory. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Right. But, yeah, no, that, that's interesting. They, they tried to go for that. And it's funny, you know, like, and again, West coast and East coast, h- hardcore ideas, ideals were so different. Like, you know, even a band like strife was there. I'd say ten, not 10 out of 10 people would say, Oh, it's a hardcore band, but that was so much different than like a lot of the, like more metallic hardcore that existed like in my area. With like, you know, like Earth Crisis being the biggest one or Spread the Disease or like all these, you know, yeah. those bands. And and the second that you went further on the punk side, like Straight Face did, uh, or if you didn't have any affiliation in terms of like, you're not, there's no one in the band that's vegan. There's no one in the band that's straight edge or anything like if those things were removed, then like. You're you're a punk band and you don't even belong in hardcore anymore. And hardcore kids can be so elitist that uh, I would I would say like Straight Face is way more of a punk band. Uh, yeah. Oh, totally. I really I really would, especially being aligned with with Fearless and and uh, uh, I guess later on Epitaph. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I I totally yeah. I totally agree. It was just like, but they uh, when they first started to put out like they put out their first record called Guilty, which I think eventually got re released by Fearless, but. Right when that came out they were totally just like Huntington Beach hardcore like that was like their I don't think they actually had it on their merch or anything but right. it was just it was such a such a unique band because like there's really few like I mentioned at the top 
there's few bands that exist in the genre that can like toe the line between both of those scenes so well right and still be successful at it while not bumming out one side or the other too much where it's like yeah like you said it's you know if the singer of straight face went up there and was just like all right everybody like you should think about vegetarianism the pugs would be like fuck you <laughs> right like, right yeah, but yeah i know what you mean they pulled is that other band other band i never saw play but there's similar sound uh, heckle do you remember heckle oh yeah of course yeah yeah yeah. they were a similar kind of band too like that where they were like a hardcore band like but they were kind of punk but they were on like hopeless records too so they were even more far removed from like you know what hardcore was uh so yeah no it's it's it is an interesting thing i mean back then how, how there was these the lines were blurred but not that blurred yeah <laughs> no totally and and especially to like remain successful you know like the being able to put out multiple records for a longer period of time yeah. because it's like that's you know it's always the joke, especially in the hardcore scene, like, you know, your, your typical sort of like bridge nine hardcore where it's like, if you put out two full lengths and you're a band that sounds like, you know, half hard or count me out or whatever, that's like, Oh my God, you've made it. Like you've put out two full lengths and you still exist in tour. Like, wow. But then it's true. But straight. No, I mean, I mean, straight face was around. I count. They must've put out like four, four or five records probably. Right. Yeah. I think so. By the time that they ended up, um, disbanding. And it's so funny too, because then I, my brain always thinks of like, dude, what are those guys, what are those guys doing now? Like, cause you know, none of them went on to like start any of their bands or anything like that, at least to my knowledge. But, uh, I just want to know. It's like, I would, I would love to talk to the singer from straight face. Like I, me and 10 other people would like that, but it's just, what are they doing now? I don't know. You should look into that, man. I know. I actually did a little uh, research a while ago, trying to find out about those guys, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really find, <laughs> find. Well, we'll do, we'll do a skate punk part two. Where are they now? Edition. I'll find out where, where diesel Dave is and, uh, Scott from Rufio and, uh, Tom from Bigwig, you know, I'll, I'll get to the bottom of it. Actually, Tom from Bigwig, like up until a couple of years ago, he would randomly call me all the time. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he'd call me. He's like, because he, like, we played like a festival in Quebec or something with them once, and I like love Bigwig. So yeah, he like would just call me, like, hey man, what's up? I'm going to be like in Toronto. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be on tour. He's like, oh, we should hang out sometime. I'm like, this is so weird. I, lo- I absolutely <laughs> love that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> dude, it's so weird when people like you look up to, like, call you like that like I'll, I'll never forget the first time like i came home living with my parents like i was maybe 18 19 just started to play out with taken and my mom had a, like left a note on my door saying uh mike hartsfield called and mike hartsfield is like the owner of new age records and played it right. spoken and like you know legendary hardcore dude from here in southern california and i was like he had just started that band amendment 18 and i was just like what the fuck mike hartsfield like who what why is this guy calling me and then like once i started to like speak to him i was just like oh this guy's really nice and it became (laughs) suck on that you bitch ass trick Please don't shoot me now! What 
Shane, I think we did it. I think we accomplished we did it. the buried We did a thing. <laughs> well, thank you. There was a lot. I hope people enjoy I have really enjoyed t- talking about this stuff, and it really made me think about music that's so near and dear to my heart really so yeah no i and thanks I, a lot for, for uh, having me right oh dude it's my absolute pleasure there was no other person that i was like you and i could have drilled down into like seven different musical genres but i'm very glad we drilled down escape punk it's perfect Listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.